Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, Realized this as I was editing the episode. Forgot to mention, this is a spoilerific uh, review of Legend of Vox Machina episodes 4 through 6. So if you haven't watched them yet, go watch them and then come back. I just didn't want anybody accusing me of not disclosing this up front. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast? Question mark? It's uh. Another one of mine and Gabe's extra episodes reviewing uh, Critical Role's Vox Machina. Uh, Episodes four through six dropped yesterday as we're recording this. We're recording this on Saturday evening, Um, but they dropped episodes four through six on Friday, and then seven, eight, nine are going to come out the following Friday, and 10, 11, 12 the following Friday. So we got this one releasing on Tuesday instead of Monday because the Monday slot was already taken up by the regular podcast release. So hopefully you've been able to steal yourself and hold on to your patience to wait for our hot takes on these three <laughs> episodes. Gabe, the how hottest. are you doing? I'm I'm doing pretty great. Uh, I had a lot of fun, uh, not just this last week, but with these episodes. So I'm I'm excited to to get into it for our mm-hmm. special Tuesday release exclusive. Woo! We're breaking new ground. Bah, bah, bah. On the Goblins and Growlers podcast feed. Um. So yeah, I just overall this batch of episodes, I was really digging it. I know I was coming off as kind of a little bit hesitant last week when we talked mm-hmm. because it, you know, I will say again for those who either forgot or didn't listen. Uh, I have absolutely no experience with Critical Role. I've never listened to it. I've never watched it before. So I am seeing these episodes with the unblemished eyes of a newborn babe. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And and also, uh, I will say the like what we discovered, like literally during the last time we were talking about it, about the first two episodes being funded and produced differently than the rest of the show mm-hmm. makes so much more sense and and fits like yeah you know the the episode three fits so much more in line with four five six than one yeah. and two at all this only watching this batch of episodes only made me believe even more what i said last week when i was like ah oh, you know if i were in charge i would have released episodes one and two yes. as a thing maybe like a month in advance now maybe and been like yeah. hey just, you know, tell your friends about this. Let's make sure everybody's watching this. And then episodes three through 12 will start coming out in like a month or a couple of weeks or something like that. Right. And it's going to be a whole through line of a story. Yeah. Yeah, that actually would probably have made more sense, honestly, because then it's yeah. like, here's the teaser and then let's get into the the real business. Yeah, it was just so jarring going from episode two to three. But I think we're really over that hump now. And yes all the writing is going to start to gel and the story is going to start to flow a lot better if these three episodes were anything to to go by. Um, So we ended episode three uh, with the fight with the Briarwoods out in the the palace garden area. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it ended with uh, Uriel telling uh, the crew that, you know, they were going to be (laughs) thrown in jail, basically. Um, And we uh, we begin with kind of a. I don't know. It almost like it, I don't feel like they followed through on that. It was like a cliff, a needless cliffhanger or something, because uh, right. we start off immediately with them being like, oh, well, you know, because Uriel's under the influence of the Briarwoods. Yeah. Uh, and it man, they managed to say to get to a point where it's like, oh, well, they'll just be held in house arrest at their keep uh, until we figure out what's going on. But 
they leave it a little bit sort of nebulous on how they're going to figure out what's going on because it's really like a we said they said kind of thing and they openly are like i don't even know if the briarwoods will talk to us so like how do they expect to get testimony right that (laughs) well i I think i think that that was um alora's sort of like plan because she's like yeah there's something up but i don't like you all enough yet Mm -hmm. to really uh to, to to really put some legwork into this, so I'm just gonna suggest you get put on house arrest. Yeah, and almost possibly like... stay there forever, which is exactly <laughs> what I thought. I was like, wait, there's possibly no chance of them getting out of this. What? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like she's she's on her own side. Yeah, in this whole thing, which mm. makes sense. I will say, uh, as as uh, again, as 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 someone who who did watch the um original uh, show, at least for this arc. Um, Yoriel, not Yoriel. Um, Alora, Lady Alora. Uh, her role, specifically because again, uh, the the character um played by Orion Akaba, um, the uh, one who left. Yes, the 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 Dragonborn. His character was like constantly trying to, like, woo, mm-hmm. Alora uh many times before they even got to this arc and so by the time they had gotten to this arc the entire party had pretty good relations with her and so she was much more sympathetic to them but without that entire like there's a lot of stuff that they had to change and this just showcased it more because mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't register to me that that character also created uh what was essentially um like sending stone earpiece things mm-hmm. that the whole party wore they, they were earrings they were earrings that would allow them to just tap and talk to each other, which is why in episode three, there's that part um, in the in the original show they had uh, their their word for like, oh no the the plan has gone sideways send help was mm-hmm. Jenga, mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously they can't use the word Jenga in this, so that's why Vax all of a sudden says Chenga. <laughs> uh, point in the episode when things go sideways, and that's when Vex kind of goes, oh I have a sibling feeling for my twin he's in danger um oh okay that, that was a reference to them all having earpieces where they could talk to each other over long distances but that's something that they can't have now mm-hmm. because the character never existed in this and like just the number of things that are that they had to rewrite and change because of that it's 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 impressive that that it's still like a cohesive and fun storyline yeah it held up but when you stop and think about it for a minute it it it's it's not that it doesn't make sense. It just feels like a plot contrivance rather than like the natural flow of the story. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that additional context makes a lot more sense to me now why it was done that way. Um, uh, there's also th- this entire arc coming up and that this was uh, w- one of my big notes is. Uh, so Ashley Johnson, the person who plays uh, Pike Trickfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you, you if you knew this, but during this arc, she was I think she was out filming like the Avengers or something. Oh, uh, so she actually wasn't present for a large portion of this arc. So they had it. it they, they played it out as her character needing to go and uh, like seek audience at a temple with mm-hmm. uh, her her god. Yes. Um, and then she would occasionally zoom in 
So they, they literally, and this, this is one of those things where like critical role it, it, for me has always been just an example of people like, like their, their sense of professionalism was all in geek and sundry at the beginning mm-hmm. because boy, howdy, did they not like, like if you were to stream a game where one of your players is a laptop with a screen on it, with a mic facing it, no <laughs> one would watch that. Um, but critical role definitely got away with it. And it, it was, it was interesting. Um, and so that's, they're mirroring that here mm-hmm. with Pike having to go on her spiritual journey thing. You know, I was going to talk about this in some of the later episodes, but since we're already talking about it, like I had started to wonder uh, because the no- one of the notes I have in for like, I think episode six or something is like not feeling Pike's B plot. It really uh-huh. takes me away from the story. And I started to wonder because you had talked to me last week about how they had to rewrite something because of the one character that left. I was like, I wonder if there was some real life thing going on with the player that yeah. meant they couldn't be a part of this, because otherwise that's just weird for them to be separated from the party in the middle of an adventure. So now it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I mean, they they they, they played it in that same way and that is it, it, it is one of those things like exactly what you felt it is written in a way where a you know a clever dungeon master would be like oh a player can't make it well let me find a good way to sort of write their character out of the storyline yeah that makes sense for the story in a dungeons and dragons setting but for a show maybe not as much yeah because i was just sitting there watching it like well if this person was actually there at the sessions, this must have been just the most boring thing for them because uh-huh. they're not taking part in anything. Yeah. Uh, and especially and that, that that was that was part of what made um, this arc so terrifying was that like Ashley couldn't be there and that her character is literally the one most equipped mm-hmm. to deal with spooky crap. Yeah, and, I mean, it, I, I think from from a dramatic tension standpoint, it works out really well. Yeah. I was just I, I had just reached the point where I was sort of meta watching it, trying to yes. figure out what the reasoning was for some of those narrative decisions. You were spot on. OK. Um, but yeah, I, I just I, I specifically like like my one of my notes for episode four was like, I'm interested to see where Pike's arc takes her as opposed to what it actually was, which was uh, different. But I'm not going to spoil it because it might actually sort of still happen. OK. Um. Uh, one of the things that I, I did notice that was uh, I, I should have noticed before, but I wanted to make note of this is that the the intro sequences that they've had for every season of the actual show, mm-hmm. they tend to introduce everybody in a specific order. It's usually like Travis, then uh, Marisha, then um, uh, Talison. Don't look, yeah, don't look to me for help on the names. <laughs> um and then Ashley, and then um, well, and and, then, and like and they would go through that specific order. But but the thing is that they would do that for each, like that same order for each one of their intro sequences, and it kind of became an inside uh, joke, sort of. But I find it interesting that they didn't follow that at all with the intro sequence to this. Like it starts with uh, Marisha's character, and then immediately goes to Travis Willingham and um, Ashley Johnson's characters uh the grog and pike at the same time which is cool because they have a really interesting backstory those two mm-hmm. characters which they kind of touched on a little here or at least showcase that they those characters have a connection uh, but i just i just i think i think it's an interesting choice that they did not continue that um specifically because they intentionally continued it like three times hmm. and then didn't do it this time 
I wonder. So you say they changed it up like every season? Yeah, like like every every season they'd have different characters, but mm-hmm. it would be the same order of oh, how they would player. introduce each play. Like like yeah, the intro cinematic would e- introduce okay. the players in that same order. Okay. Starting mm. with uh Travis and then ending with uh Mercer. Okay. Willingham anyway. Yeah, I wonder why they didn't do it that way. Yeah. I mean it, a- it 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 plays out still very nicely. It's a very fun and the way they reprised the um their their theme music that was their season two theme music mm-hmm. um which uh they reprised into this um but the first season really <clears throat> excuse me the first season didn't have solid theme music i will say so oh like what was it just not well done or not well, so... really devoted to the story like it, it felt like an like it was something that was picked up secondarily rather than produced specifically more, more more so that like the, yeah. the the first season it was only like like 50 or 60 episodes in when they started to get a proper intro sequence going mm-hmm. um and then even later than that that they did their uh cosplay intro which was then coupled with uh actual music like actual mm-hmm. like composed for them music uh but even that was a slightly more i would say slightly more generic fantasy it, mm-hmm. it didn't have like a an it didn't have a, and this is kind of getting to the music theory of it, um, a intentional light motif, um, mm-hmm. something that would be very recognizable. It just had uh, more more genetic, more generic passing notes type of thing. Okay. Um, but then in season two, they have a very specific one, which is actually produced um, and or written and sung by members of the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that melody line and rhythm and everything, and a lot of the light motifs there come into uh the reprised intro for this um which i'll show you later if you like okay so let's let's we're 15 minutes in almost so let's dig into episode four dive into it yeah so i'm just going to go through my notes i took notes in a uh, tiny little like pocket notepad while i was watching this time i i was not nearly as thorough with my note taking as i was on the first (laughs) three because i have a little bit better of a handle on things at this point um but first thing i wrote down uh was uh double barrel middle fingers when they were sitting at the table um and i was like oh that's that's really cute i like that because that just seems like it was table talk that was translated into into the show so that was fantastic and then i have you know then they have the scene where percy's sort of explaining everything to everybody going through all the flashbacks and getting everybody on board with like, we're going to go do this. Uh, and then, you know, cause they're on house arrest and the guards are guarding everything and they've uh, taken their weapons. They all of a sudden just find a random secret passage in this keep that they've been living in for a few weeks uh, as an attempt to escape. I, and I just wrote random secret passage, question mark, exclclamation point uh-huh. <laughs> talking well- about plot contrivances, but, but, I liked how they subverted the expectation at the end of that with the guards yes. finding them when they came out. Yeah. I, I like that, that to me that played out as like the guards have known about this keep for a while and they know all the ins and outs of it. Right. And yeah, so cause I mean, like, they get, you know, they just, the, the, the state gave it to them. So of yeah. course they know what's going on with it. And I just thought uh, that was a, a nice, you're not as clever as you think moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, that sort of uh, humanizes the uh the main characters a little bit 
Yes. Which was good. Um, and then, you know, this episode uh, dealt a lot with the book from Delilah that Scanlan yes. had, which I don't even remember this coming up in episode three. Um, that was uh, when when Vax was in the like he was he was snooping around in the room and he found the secret pa- the secret lock mm-hmm. underneath the the chest okay. in their room. Okay, and he, he was reading the book and he was probably going to put it back, but then it, that was right when he heard the people coming in through the door, so he popped it in his jacket. I must have just looked away or something for a second when that happened because I was like, yeah. "Well, this must have happened," but I don't really remember this, so I just accepted. I took it on faith. Yeah, because I didn't <laughs> I didn't go back to scan through episode three. Uh, but th- uh, yeah, and that's that's actually like a, a big, big foreshadowing plot point is that book. OK, um, I don't I don't know if you caught the uh, the, the the name drops in that. Um, Probably not. You can educate me. Well, so, I mean, it, it is it is uh, a, a common. Um, the reason I will I will ed- ed- allow this as a spoiler uh, for you is because it is uh, Forgotten Realms lore as well. OK. Uh, the whispered one or the whispering one uh, mm-hmm. often refers to Vecna. Oh, okay. Um, and there, there were a couple like things as he was going through the book that showed like you know the hand and eye and that kind of concept. Um, and uh, that was like that. That's that's not like the immediate bad guy, obviously, because um, mm-hmm. that's a bit spicy for uh, yeah. early yeah. group. Um, but that was like one of the subtle storylines that was like building up throughout the entirety of the campaign uh, of, of the first campaign okay um and i like that like they're they're doing things to showcase what could happen in the future what they could get to um good good foreshadowing storytelling gotcha okay so then next we had the um the wraiths <laughs> yeah the wraiths because the briarwood stopped at a cemetery on their way back yeah after delilah discovered that the book was missing um, and they, she put her hands in the ground, raised some monsters, and the monsters took off back uh, to the keep and I just started say, floating just, through walls to kill folks. Yeah, I, I love fake magic words as much as the next person. Uh huh. But to me, like it, it's it's it, it, it's it's one of those things. Like it doesn't do it for me if you do it for a while if you're just continuing to just say gibberish like oh you're talking about when she was like encanting into the ground yeah yeah and it's like it's it's kind of cool but at the same time like uh, and this might just be like from a a production perspective like just the 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 feeling of sitting at a table with your friends and just going off making the words for a minute and a half and everyone's sitting (laughs) at the table going I mean, I'm going to wait for when it ends because that's when the cool thing is going to happen. But he's really going for it, man. It's like when you say banana over and over and over again <laughs> and it loses all meaning. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's like the the words unless like that. I think that's why, like, I've always liked Shakespearean style incantations because it's usually in English mm-hmm. to a degree. And you get whether it rhymes or doesn't, it has a little more gravity to it. Mm hmm you can understand roughly almost like it's a riddle type of thing as opposed to if it's just in another language it sounds super cool but it has no meaning right um but that's 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 a that's a small nitpick um i i really liked how 
uh, kind of like what we were just saying a moment ago, how like impossible to deal with those wraiths felt. Yeah. Like that was just, that was 100% a deadly problem. Did you watch any of uh, Netflix Castlevania? I did. Yes. I got very, very much Castlevania vibes from watching this. Yeah, actually, I I, I kept thinking um, like the animation style and this was evident in the in the first couple episodes, like they're not pulling any punches punches with the with the gore. No, I was surprised. Slowly squishing someone's head until the eyes and teeth fall out and you're like uh yeah when the guard captain when his head got crushed by the wraith into the castle because the wraith was inside the castle pulling him into it i was like oh no no no. oh yep yep there we go there it is that's (laughs) awful and then it just got worse like it's got like a thousand times worse it's 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 one of those like uh i mean i i know i I, i'm sure there is other media like you know castlevania like berserk that really goes in on that Mm mm-hmm um, but I, I mean, I, I guess I don't consume a lot of that stuff. So I kept expecting the scene to shift like, oh, it's got him. Oh, it crushed his head. Hey, we're still here. Oh, no. yeah, it's still going. <laughs> still happening. Um, I guess I should really expect that because it's clearly an adult oriented piece of entertainment because yes. they're dropping F-bombs all over the place. Um, making sexual jokes. So I guess it only stands to reason that there's going to be violence in there as well. Um, Yeah. And I I mean, I'll say also like the, the language. uh, Not it's, it's not bad. Like I'm not, I'm not against it at all. It's just, it's jarring sometimes to hear the amount of like potty language. Yeah. It's like (laughs) watching new star Trek, which I love like the shows that have come out in the last few years, but since they're not on television, they've started to drop f-bombs and stuff like that yeah. so it's weird watching picard and having somebody just be like f this f this. yeah right it just doesn't it's, fit <laughs> it's 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 stuff where it's like if if you were in that situation yeah i'd probably be throwing a lot of f-bombs in there but i'm not used to seeing that in media um mm-hmm. so cool and and strange uh, i also really liked how they illustrated like how 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 they illustrated the aha moment of how to defeat the monsters. I thought that was very, uh, it it was it was well done mm-hmm. because it wasn't like it, it it's obvious but not obvious kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't and, realize you're without light type of thing. Yeah, and then it went into I I, I guess I guess there's a crisis of confidence storyline going on with Keyleth. Yes, that that that's always been her her thing. Because I wrote, I, I had this note for episode five, but I was just like, Keyleth actually seems to be a very competent druid. She is. And that's like, consi- like in the, in the, the original show, um, I've no idea how, how somebody managed to do this, but somebody at the very end of it wrote a kill count for everyone in the party mm-hmm. to compare who had the most kills. And I think it was like Keyleth won by like over 40%. Wow. Cause I mean, when you're able to control nature and you like drown 70 people or something like that, that really boosts it, your numbers. It really does. Uh, and it's just, it's what I was like. She's, she's way more competent and way more deadly than she knows. It's mostly because druids are just very effective classes mm-hmm. uh, to begin with. Uh, very, very diverse and deadly. But I was just like, what is she not confident about? I'd 
I don't, it's the character, the quirk. Okay. Marisha had to pick a flaw. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the obvious explanation for it. I'm just like, yeah. this character is, seems like they know what they're doing. They're pretty good at it. Yeah. They're very I mean, effective. She's, she's like the daughter of the, like the tribe elder or the leader or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so she has to go on this big journey in order to prove herself. But she's, oh, I think that was it. Uh, I don't know if this will, come, this will come up, but this might help explain some of it. I think her, her mother went on the same journey, but never came back. Oh, OK. So she I, I think I think part of her thing is that she's worried that she's also going to go to that same fate of failing it and therefore never a- able to return home. Oh, yeah. They allude to that a little bit, but they don't go into the like the specifics of it. Yeah. The minutia. OK. Um, so, yeah. So another thing that I had was like, how much time has passed since they got this keep? Because all of a sudden, like yeah. all their stuff is there. Percy has sort of his his gun laboratory and everything. Right. Yeah. yeah has, it been, it's, has it been days? Has it been weeks? Has it been months? It's it's very vague because when when they got it in the show and they were uh, they called it Castle Castle Grayskull. Um uh, and then and then uh, there were a couple of times where they were like, are we allowed to call that now that we're on air? They're like, <laughs> uh, just keep going with it. We'll find out. Um, and uh, yeah, and they had that keep for weeks, months in there. But I've no idea how long in this. I'm guessing a couple weeks. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, they probably I mean, they probably got a deal from Uriel or something. Like, yeah, we need some money to buy our equipment now that we, you know, while now that we're living here. Right. And get this place set up for us to do stuff. Um, and um, speaking of getting set up to do stuff, then they had to go and as fugitives resupply. Yeah. Uh, before leaving town. And it was sort of a classic, you know, resupply gaming session. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say Critical Role did shopping episodes pretty well. Um. I, I often did actually enjoy them, despite not usually enjoying shopping episodes in uh, or in, in even like my own campaigns, just because it's. It's usually more like stat heavy uh-huh. comparing stats of things. Um, and in, in, in my home campaigns, I usually try and throw in a bunch of role play and other downtime stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it was it's 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 usually fun uh, in this in Critical Role. Yeah, I liked uh, the Adventure Zones shopping episodes that they would do, uh, but that's Ooh. mainly because they were just ridiculous and they often involved buying really goofy magical items that uh, listeners had suggested. Heck yeah. So that I love really that. Um, and the other the other note I had for this episode um, was, you know, Mercer is doing the voice for Silas Briarwood. And it took me uh, through several episodes, like one, two and three, to realize that that was Mercer's voice in certain spots and not noted voice actor Cam Clark. Uh, ha ha. Yeah. You know, Cam Clark has done a lot of stuff. He was uh, Prince Adam and He-Man in the 2002 He-Man animated series. Yeah. He's more famously Leonardo in the original Ninja Turtles cartoon. Uh, and he's just a working yeah. voice actor who's been doing it for like 30 plus years. He's right up there with like Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche in sort of the pantheon of American and Canadian voice actor talent. Yeah. Um, Mercer sounds exactly like him. 
I was I was like, well, of course they got Cam Clark because Cam Clark is in everything that's been animated since yeah. you know 1985. <laughs> uh, but I went on IMDb. I looked. I, I checked a couple times because I thought surely it was wrong. And then I checked the characters. I was like, oh, it's Mercer. Mercer just sounds exactly like yeah Cam Clark. And again, I don't really listen to Mercer's voice, so I don't I don't understand its nuance. I'm sure if I had been a, a fan of Critical Role before, I would be able to pick it up pretty much right. instantly. Uh, and I, I, I did find it amusing that someone else pointed out to me that there are several, uh, Mercer cameos. And at first, I didn't understand that phrase because I'm like, "What do you mean a cameo? Like he played all the NPCs? It yeah. can't be a cameo." Oh, no, but no, apparently that several characters, like the guard that gets peed on in the beginning, mm-hmm. is Mer- Matthew Mercer. Like it, it's his face and body oh. and hair and everything like it's him oh animated. okay they used him as a character model yeah uh which you know is is funny in one way it's a little self-masturbatory in another um but uh i, I like I, I i find it amusing overall mm-hmm. that they would add that all right so going into episode five yeah we start- I loved how they how uh, Kayla's been like using her wild shape more, and exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying, like she pretty, knows what pretty she's darn doing. competent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she knows what she's doing. You know, we started with the chase. Uh, they were on the run, um, trying to get out of town. Um, is this when they stopped at Gilmore's? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, and had that exchange where they picked up all the enchanted arrows and all, and like all the choices of all these daggers. He's like, "No, I'm going to buy this wooden stake." Right. Well, that, that's also so. Uh, um, uh, Liam O'Brien's uh, uh, catchphrase for uh, Vaxel Dan was "dagger, dagger, dagger," because he'd always be throwing <laughs> daggers. So it's him going "dagger, dagger, 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 dagger." Ooh, a stake. <laughs> um, I looked down at that scene too, so I, I, I didn't like. I was writing when that was coming, so I thought he meant as like a food steak for a whole half second until I looked up and see how he was holding a bit of wood. Um. I also I I loved Gilmore's uh, unseen servant. That was, was fantastic. It was very cool. Pac-Man should have been chasing that thing. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. It was like, oh, it's a little blue ghost. It's inky. <laughs> um, uh, let me see what else. Oh, uh, I I also I wrote down uh, in this one that that especially episode five, the pacing felt nice and comfortable. It did. It kept me engaged throughout the whole thing. Like it was really difficult to actually take notes on it because yeah. I was I just kept like, oh, they're, they're just coming yeah. again and again and again with the next little like action point. Yes. Going on. Um, one last thing in Gilmore's. So uh, Vax and Keyleth had an uh, like an exchange. I was like, is there a Vax and Keyleth romance shipping angle that goes yes. on? OK. Yes. Because I was like, if there's not they really telegraphed it. Yeah. Yeah. They're I'll say the, the romances that they have in this they're I mean, it's, it's a show, so you don't have a hundred and something episodes to mm-hmm. convey concepts in, especially because they nixed the like 40 episodes just in the first two episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's little, little romance arcs. Some of them get much bigger. Uh, there was a, a a large romance arc uh, that, unfortunately for me, I, I was actually kind of digging it between a uh, Vax and Gilmore, mm-hmm. uh, which I adored. But that ship sank. 
Um, because yeah, the, I, I was, the, the Vax and Keyleth one was much more of a fan favorite. Okay. Yeah, because I was, you know, like, that's another thing that they were very obviously telegraphing the two of them flirting yeah. a lot constantly. I, and I, so I really much, enjoyed that. Yeah, one so much show. to the point that other people are annoyed whenever he has <laughs> to go talk to Gilmore. Uh, so, yeah. So so you're saying that it just wasn't as popular. It, it, well, it, it also it just it just like organically died in the show because okay. uh, they uh, left. Well, no, because because Vax. Vax as the character was more interested in Keyleth. Okay. That was like the the romance while Gilmore was more like the the it started as just flirting, been being silly, but started to become more, but there wasn't a huge substantial basis for it. Meanwhile, okay. the Keyleth one was much more of like becoming fond, becoming friends, becoming more. That kind gotcha. of thing. Gotcha. Um I still I just gotta say I don't like Kiki as a nickname for her that was very jarring for me i'm not a fan of brevity to begin with but Mm -hmm. yeah i have a weird thing i have a weird thing where i have a very difficult time giving people nicknames like if you were if you were introduced to me as your full name that is what i will call you for the rest of time yeah about the same even if 99 percent of other people have a like a more acceptable shorter nickname for you yeah it just sounds wrong to me it's like i imprint on the first thing <laughs> I hear. Uh, yeah, about the same. And I, I think that's why, like, uh, it, it's just like in um, uh, The Witcher with uh, that, that one character, um, uh, Yennefer, and mm-hmm. then one, one character who's falling in love with her is calling her Yenna, and then the other character who's falling, falling in love with her is calling her Yen. And I'm like, <laughs> is someone else going to fall in love with her and just call her Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> like, her name's just getting shorter and shorter. Um, but yes, I, I will say I have a note in episode five that was, uh, Scanlan continues to be gross. Um, (laughs) and I think it was specifically when the monster dog thing. Yeah. I called them demon wolves, demon wolves had it like had him all wrapped up, but then it shoves one of his tentacles in his mouth to keep he's like, Oh, yeah. And he was like, Oh, and I was like, Oh, that's unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) sir and i mean that was scaling in the show too but i don't know maybe it was spread out more so it was more palatable (laughs) but in this i'm i'm far from prudish but scanlan kind of he's he's pushing that that button of like he's gratuitous he is (laughs) i had a couple of quick notes um you know when they're so they stole the cart and then started heading uh for whitestone it was so cheap yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, they're looking, you know, Scanlon's looking through Briarwood's book and have, talking about all the trouble he's having translating it because he just basically doesn't know what it is. Uh, it felt oh. very Codex Seraphinus to me. Yeah. Like, especially after they started, because you were talking about, oh, did you notice this in the book or that in the book? Yeah. It all just seemed to me like Codex Seraphinus. Like, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook gibberish with drawings that you're supposed to interpret. I mean, pretty much. Uh, that, that is, that is, I'm, I'm sure the, the, the base design of most of it where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, here's a, you know, a thing that's big actual reference. The rest of it is here's a gross drawing of an arm. <laughs> and like we had said, you, you know, Pike decided not to go with them. So Grog is sitting there on the back of the cart being really yeah. sad. And, uh, my note here was Grog's voice sounds like Michael Caine. If you punched him in the throat. <laughs> 
it, it sounds like somebody trying to do a Michael Caine impression with something stuck in their throat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Travis Willingham's a big dude, so and his 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 natural voice is nice and rumbly, and so when he does the grog voice, he's putting tension there to mm-hmm. get that I'm grog strong jaw kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that that lump in the throat comes in. But yeah, then we had the big terrifying battle with the demon wolves. This was great running battle action. Yes. I thought this was this fantastically choreographed and animated. Continues to cement like the action scenes in this are fantastic. Some of mm-hmm. the other animation, like when like in, in episode four when they were walking away, like I, I ugh, it was so jittery. Yeah. They're putting the money into the right place though, in terms of the animation. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have another note. Poor horses. Right. I also I have I have they killed the horses with. Yeah, because uh, because, you, know, you know, when Scanlan was taken by the wolves and they were running to the edge of a cliff, they ended up having to sacrifice the cart in order to save him. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, they're just going to they're just going to pull it to a stop right at the dead end. Nope. Nope. They killed the horses. Those horses <laughs> never hurt anybody. Right. Those horses did not need. And what was it all for? Scanlan saved himself and the book was taken anyways. Yeah. Another note I have is horses. I have Scanlan equals Indy in Last Crusade, where um, he goes over the edge of the cliff and mm-hmm. uh, and his dad's like, I've lost him. I've uh. only just got him back. And then he just comes walking over to the edge. Yes. <laughs> with Henry and Sala. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's Scanlan um, mm-hmm. with his foot and hand and glowing purple um, um the next note i have because um it it cuts to a scene um in whitestone now yeah. in in the the castle there and immediately i was like steven root steven root um oh was that yeah the voice of professor anders yeah so i mean oh, immediately right. i'm like oh I, I believe you have my vampire uh-huh <laughs> It's funny because he just showed up a couple weeks ago on Book of Boba Fett, uh, just kind of out of nowhere as a cameo. It was really funny. Uh, I I, I saw that. Yeah, there was like the next day there was a story that was like, yeah, that was Steven Root just randomly showing up in the Star Wars universe for five minutes. Exciting. Uh, Yeah, I love him. He's a fantastic actor. Now that you mentioned that, yeah, I do recognize that was Steven Root. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I was I was too these... absorbed in how strange those fa- uh, the those bodies were. Yeah, those those are really weird characters. Code man. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, I loved Stephen Root in News Radio back in the nineties. Mm. Uh, loved him in Office Space. He played a Klingon in an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was oh. pretty fantastic. Because once you know it's Stephen Root, it makes yeah. it just hilarious. Kind of like there's a, there's an early episode of TNG where John Tesh plays a Klingon, which is all, which is also very funny when you know it. Oh, OK. Yeah. I'll have to see that again. Yeah. So then, you know, they bring in the peasants. Um, yeah. And have that and tell them that they're going to be changing clothes. Like, are they going to feed on these peasants? Yeah, I I remembered what mm-hmm. that fate was in the in the from the show. And so when I saw them show up and I was like. Wait, is this? And then when they gave her the gave the little girl the pendant, I was like, oh, yeah, and my, I my note for that one was uh, bleep this. If you have to shit gets dark. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize what she was putting on her until at the end of the episode when I was like, yeah. oh, OK, just yeah. because, you know, Pike not being in this episode. 
makes it really different, difficult to connect those dots. Yeah. Especially if you're like me and you're just coming into everything cold. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, I guess they're going to feed on those people. No, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was I, I remember in the show like that. This was, this is was one of those things like I love being able to give players that that feeling of like dread or shock or terror type of thing. Mm -hmm. And when the like when the party arrives and uh, uh, Matthew Mercer is like describing what they're seeing and he describes them looking up at the tree and seeing a bunch of bodies. But then he goes and he slowly describes the bodies. And of course, he's describing vaguely what the party looks like. Mm -hmm. but he's describing it on the bodies and it's one of those like the as the group as the actual players are sitting there visualizing it they're like huh that's really gruesome and then it slowly starts to dawn on them and each one is like oh no and like it, it just it was it was a very fun visceral moment to watch each one of them slowly realize well yeah and i think this is another case of what worked at the table and in the original show doesn't really translate to this because, you know, jumping ahead to the end of the episode, when they arrive at um, the sun tree mm -hmm. and see the peasants made to look like them hanging dead from its branches, it, you know, the, the camera goes in on them. It goes over them. It's very clear what's going on. Like, yeah. You can see it. The viewer can see it. And then it fades to black and you hear, I think it was Keila say, it's us. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> it really it destroyed the the drama of that scene yeah um they should have ended it on black screen with no dialogue and just slammed straight to credits yeah because it just undercut any tension that was going on there and what you said makes sense as to why they did it this way because that's how it was the first time yeah but in a different medium I don't think it serves the narrative or the drama. Yeah, that's fair. That, that, way. that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, because for, for, for them and the other one, it was literally a, oh, no, it's us moment. Right, because they can't see it. They're just be, it. Yeah, they just have to see it with their mind's eye. But yeah, we have the benefit of actually being able to look at it. Yes. Benefit is not necessarily the word. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was uh, I, I, I will say uh my usually my one line in the same when it comes to horror is like i'm not a fan of when bad things happen to kids mm -hmm. and this was like this was like really towing that line for me or i was watching i'm like uh not yeah. groovy yeah good storytelling very effective yeah it's what an evil person would do yeah exactly there, there, there is no question in any viewer's mind whether the uh, who, who's the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> this, so stepping no back, sympathetic yeah. villains here. Stepping back a little bit, we had that campfire scene, because um, after the after the uh, the cart falls off, the horses are killed, the demon wolves fall. Oh, the they lost their one vial of holy, of holy water, water, which I'm still trying to figure out. How did Gilmore have one vial of holy water? Like, what is holy water in us other than blessed water? Like, <laughs> well, uh, that's always been, like, as, as someone who was raised Catholic, you can go into any Catholic church. They don't care whether you're Catholic or not. And you can take holy water for free 99. You could just <laughs> scoop it out of the thing and leave. And the priests are like, cool, it's water plus a prayer. Like, it doesn't cost us anything. Well, you know, 
plot armor is really hard on the supply and demand of the economy sometimes. <laughs> it's holy water, come on. Yeah. But so one of the demon wolves who had, you know, taken the book from Scanlan when they were when Scanlan was being yeah. saved slash rescuing himself, manages to pull <laughs> half of its body off of the spike and then start walking on two legs to get back yeah. to the castle. Um, and I think it arrives right like did it arrive right after the peasants went away or was I, th- I that think so or something? right before I think, so, I think i think it's right before sometime around then yes so then we had the campfire scene where everybody is just sitting telling tales trying to make themselves feel better they do yeah. the strangest kills montage which yes. i thought was great because uh, apparently fighting a tiger man is a thing yeah that, oh, was, yeah, that, really that cool. was that was the the rakshasa Okay. That's why he was like, I'll be back. And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever, buddy. Because okay. Because Rakshasa are, are, are devils, so they, they come back. If you kill it, that just goes back to hell and then comes back later. Okay. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a Japanese wrestler called uh, Tiger Mask. Tiger uh, Mask. And, and it reminded me of that. It's, it's sort of like the Dread Pirate Roberts because somebody new inherits the mantle of Tiger Mask. So yes. there's always a Tiger Mask. So I, that's the first thing I think of when I see stuff like that. That was that was the reference in um uh, the Tekken games with the uh, King and Iron King. Yeah, exactly. I, I wrote down I wrote down Tiger Mask and then I wrote down King exclamation <laughs> point. And we also uh, had a bit with Pike at the church. Uh, Pike goes to the church. And right. is talking about, oh, you know, I must have gotten cursed by uh, Lady Briarwood. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. This is all you. And that was something that I didn't like about that because it it's very obvious that it's not a curse. It's right. Pike making up excuses for not being able to do stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, it it is one of those like, because I mean, maybe I don't remember it super well, but I don't recall what pike did wrong because it's it wasn't like pike all of a sudden did something wrong because her powers were faltering before the attack Mm -hmm. and so it's like what did i I can't remember maybe it's like she questioned her own faith and therefore shouldn't maybe yeah i'm not sure i'm sure that will i'm sure that'll spell itself out and possibly better here than it did in the show yeah Um, so I'm, i'm interested to see where that goes yeah because again like I wasn't I'm not the biggest fan of this B plot, but now understanding why it's there, I can probably appreciate it at least on a different level from yeah. a production standpoint. Exactly. Um, so is is Vex jealous of Vax and uh, Keyleth getting closer? Yeah, uh, there's always been. Like because they're super tight twins, mm-hmm. it's like a, 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 a non romantic relationship that they have with with each other. Right. Um, and she just always would get very uh, annoyed if Vax had any relationship that was beyond like kind of sexual sort of with mm-hmm. someone else. Because if it's sexual, it's like, yeah, whatever. But if it's like, oh, you're trying to get feelings for someone, you're going to leave me. OK, yeah, that was I thought that was actually very well handled because it really just took like a look and a comment and that conveyed yeah. the whole thing. Yes. So that was something that was handled perfectly, I thought. Yeah. Um, then we see Percy over there cleaning his gun. And I think maybe for the first time you see all the names on the chamber. Yeah. On the gun. They, they, they zoom in. And that was that was actually something like that was the first time that he explained it because he was like talking about uh, in, the, in the in the show. He was talking about like 
uh, doing something and someone else was like looking at his gun and you could see the different names on the gun, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that he clearly talked beforehand with Matthew Mercer about when he was designing the character. But uh, like this is where it's actually coming up in relevance. So the rest of the party sees it, too. Yeah, I thought that I, I, I love his vengeance arc. And we get into that a little bit more in the next episode. But yeah. I just love what and they're doing smoke. with that and how they're handling it. Um, this is probably something that I liked least about this episode. Like it was really good. Uh, the whole episode was. But this lore dump right before they get to Whitestone, it was very strange because, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we're all you know, I'm almost back at Whitestone. I never thought I'd be back here again. Oh, tell us about it. What should we expect? Oh, the sun tree, you know, placed yeah. there a thousand years ago by the Dawn Father. It's a bright place. It's lush. It's full, full of sun. Crops grow bountifully, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you know, then like two seconds later, they crest the hill and they see how it's just a desolate wasteland with yeah. a basically dead tree. And that was just uh, that was manufactured to set up shock. Yes. Um, they should have been laying the groundwork for that since ep since episode three. When they yeah. first when they first encountered the Briarwoods, they should he should have been talking about what Whitestone was like talk about it more in episode four, why they need to go yeah. back there. He could have even been talking about it at the campsite a little bit too, because then you as the viewer have this really nice idea built up of what to expect. And then it doesn't, then it shocks you. Yeah. But you and can't, I, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, yeah, my car is red. Wait till you see it. And then turn right around and see a blue car. It's, it's, <laughs> right. it's confusing more than it is shocking. Yes. And I, I think that that it was partly, uh, uh, I, I guess further subverted. There we go. Like that, that shock was subverted more by also having all those scenes where you can see, mm -hmm. like the Briarwoods, like like just everything. Every time that the Briarwoods are not literally in uh, Uriel's like court, everything around them is dark, dour, gray, mm -hmm. misty damp probably uh like every and so like you expect that and so like when i was listening to that whole oh it's beautiful and it's white and lush and everything's you know sunny and i'm like none of you are expecting that right because you know that there's a vampire in control of this place mm -hmm. and the vampire would have no interest in keeping an area sunny and happy like, yeah the whole I party just... should have been like well, that's I bet it's not going to look like that now. Yeah, I just think this is another instance of it's really gone it, to the bats. It works well in one medium, but maybe not so well in an episodic television series. Yes. I, I think some story planning could have helped that and made that a bit more of a reveal than it yeah. was. Even even if it's even if it's predictable, I think you can still squeeze a little bit of drama blood out of that stone. Yeah, exactly. I, I fully agree. And then we already talked about the end where they walk into town, they find the peasants and yeah, then immediately it's... undercut the drama of the moment by spelling it out. Like it's a sitcom from the nineties or something. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, the next episode opens up with attack on Titan. I said, I said <laughs> attack on Titan vibes. And then 
I got down a couple of lines further. I was like, I cannot believe this is not influenced by Attack on Titan. If somebody tells me it's not, I'm going to call them a liar. Yeah, this is this is like fully. I'm sure that they, they do a lot of like references. A lot of you know D and D is references mm-hmm. based off of references. So I'm sure. In a, in a production standpoint, they were like, "Oh, we should totally make these giants like Attack on Titan giants," because mm-hmm. they weren't really described like that. I don't think, but they weren't not described like that, so it works. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that took me out of it a little bit because I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute! I know what this is," <laughs> but I also didn't hate it. I thought it was pretty effective. Yeah, big necrotic. Excuse me, <clears throat> big necrotic giants. Um, mm-hmm messing things up and then the the pale guard thing um and then they're talking about kestrel and i don't know who or what that is but i imagine that'll become clear soon yeah okay for a whole moment when when they said that i was thinking like the the kestrels from harry potter or thestrels the thestrels from harry potter and i was like (laughs) zombie horse That's what the Attack on Titan Giants ride. Yes. Oh, golly. That sounds. Yeah. That's something I don't need. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of episode five, I think when they were poking around town, you could even see like there was like one of the giants walking through the fog and you could just see that it was something big, but you couldn't see what it was. And that's when my Titan alarm went off. Uh (laughs) And then uh, then they they delivered on their promise in the following episode. And it and it and it. Uh, my my other note for episode six was not getting less gross. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> because it's really it, not. They really hammered in how much blood this artist enjoys drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I don't know. Maybe I I I uh, for a brief moment assumed that they had got gotten it out of their system with episode four with all the necrotic blood coming out of them. Mm-hmm. But no, no, episode six came back with more blood, more, more <laughs> guts, more eyeballs popping out. There'll probably be more. I'm certain. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this was a resistance headquarters um, yes. for folks who are resisting the Briarwoods. And I guess they I guess their spy was compromised or they had just found the, the, the Briarwoods had just found the hideout and sent their folks and their giants there to kill everybody. But uh, one guy was there. Who uh, is voiced by Mary Doc Brandybuck? Yes, and uh, he was taken away. Yeah, and we find out who he is later. Yes, which uh, I thought like I I find that really fun. How and I think it it also worked well the when when Percy was talking about uh, Whitestone, mm-hmm. how like you can see that there's a part of Percy that is like. Oh, it's home. It's my life. I'm happy. I'm excited. And then, oh, the Briarwoods. I'm ready to murder literally anyone who gets in my way. Dark. Mm-hmm. And like that flip, you can see that he's becoming unhinged because he's going back and forth so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he as they were coming into town, he was talking about needing to get needing to find uh, a holy woman, Keeper Yenner. Yeah. To because uh, she was the one who would know basically what's up and what needs yeah. to be done. Um, and finally they find her just preaching a sermon, uh, in the town. And I'm like, but there are giants walking around eating people. (laughs) (laughs) But then she very quickly is like, oh, well they tolerate me. Yeah. They, 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 which is, is, is one of those, like, I always wondered why 
the Briarwoods kept the town alive. And I'm sure there's actually probably a really good reason. But I, I, I couldn't, even when I was watching the show, I was like, why didn't you just kill the whole town? You don't need any of them unless you need living people to for like sacrifices. That's what I thought. Which, I mean, they might, but it's still like there's a surprising number of people you have still alive here. I, I wondered if they let her keep preaching and let people keep listening to her preaching, because clearly they know everything that's going on. So they know what she's doing and what she's saying. Yeah. You know, one of those things where, you know, in the history of Christianity, it was a persecuted religion. And one of the things about it is like, yeah, you know, you're going to suffer now, but there's hope for either the yeah. future or the afterlife. And I wonder if like sort of sort of like uh, Neo in the Matrix, it's just this one little sliver of hope that allows this system of abuse and slavery to yeah. perpetuate. Um, almost yeah. almost like a relief valve on it. Yes. And that 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 probably is actually that uh from the perspective of a villain, that is a great idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she was she's advising Percy because she recognizes him and then she advises him basically on temperance. Like, yes, please don't just go blow everything up without stopping and taking a minute. <laughs> and he's like, but I want very well. Yeah. She's like, you can do that. But first, here's a side quest. <laughs> here's a side quest to hopefully distract you long enough to not get yourself killed. Mm hmm. Uh, and she takes them to another resistance hideout that's down beneath a tavern. Um, and then we get into this trope that I hate, which is the alcohol loving character who like almost like a Scooby snack. Whenever there's a hint of alcohol somewhere, they immediately lose all sense of the moment or rationality. Yeah. And pursue it to to perhaps a bad end. Yes. And it's like this is an overused trope that I don't care for, but it yeah. is probably from the character from the original game yes because people play D &D characters with tropes yes and this was also i believe travis willingham's first character okay and he literally made the character's name grog uh Mm -hmm. named him after an alcoholic beverage so yeah he's like this guy likes to drink yeah it's just one it's one of my least favorite like character tropes i guess because i mean it's, it's 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 less than one dimensional yes it is but it's like it's you know, as professional dungeon masters that play a lot of games, like with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're gonna see that trope show up a lot, especially, and and this was this was kind of my like upside downside to uh, to Critical Role existing in the first place uh-huh. is all of those tropes became like redoubled because <laughs> they were already tropes, but then since these famous people exemplified these tropes. Now, everyone who wanted to play D&D because of the show wanted to play those tropes. And so you had like nine million new Scanlins and uh, Vaxes. And uh, we don't need more horny bards, edgy rogues (laughs) or drunk barbarians (laughs) like they're fun sometimes. Yes. But let's not let that be the norm. (laughs) And then they get into this planning session and it's just sort of a classic heist planning session. They've got a map spread out on a table, which basically was a was a battle map. Yeah. Uh, And they all start going through various plans and it's all this really cute chibi animation 
Uh, that I liked. Yeah, it was really good. I, I thought it, it, it reminded me of, of like anime from the 90s or something like yes. that that I would watch. Yes. It was great. And then they have a real Zoidborg moment when um, uh, Vax is like, those are bad ideas and you <laughs> should feel bad. <laughs> Now is, Zoidberg is the popular one, right? I was gonna say that, that. That's also like that is for sure a like a real conversation I have heard at D and D tables, where everyone's <laughs> like, "What if we do this?" What? If, and then eventually someone's like, "Guys, these are all bad ideas, and you all know it." And I would like to finish the session tonight, please. <laughs> uh, and then you know they're like, "Oh, well, the only way this is gonna work is if we know where Archie is being held, because he was the one who was." kidnapped and he's the leader yeah. of the resistance and he's a childhood friend of percy's um and then percy all of a sudden is like yeah i got something that'll help and then he like climbs up and uses some sort of weird x-ray site on his gun to be able to find him <laughs> well I, th- I think it was implying that he was looking through various windows okay that was that did not come across to me at all yeah well because apparently somehow a window faces the middle cell in a series of cells i don't okay. i don't know because okay, when they that were makes... doing the scene later, it was at night, so there's no evidence of where the windows were. Yeah, that makes sense, what you just said. But I'm just like, okay, well, he's like a cool artificer or something. So I guess right. he built some kind of x-ray site. Because it was <laughs> it was just very quick. Like, all of a sudden, it cuts from the planning session to him looking through some sort of scope and seeing him. And then it cuts back to him. And Percy's on top of a building yes and you can't really see what he was looking at he just like takes his gun and he goes back downstairs yeah you just see a bunch of windows which is why i i inferred that he was looking through a window yeah it was that makes perfect sense like i said but it just it did not yeah. translate to me as i was watching it i will say to me like in a in a town maybe because it was daytime and you know zombie giants don't hang out in daytime or something mm-hmm. but i felt like that was very risky for the one person in the town who was literally the most wanted individual to just climb up to the tippy top of a roof yeah <laughs> that can be seen from everywhere and just chill there for like 5 minutes or more while mm-hmm. looking for someone and um, I'm like, a giant didn't just like jump up and slam dunk you out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> How did that not happen? Um, good stealth checks, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So then they start executing the plan and it's a classic split the party situation. And yes. they lampshade that they're like, isn't that a bad idea? Why don't you shut up? Yeah. Um, and they have a team <laughs> going in the front door and a team going in the back door. And I'm guessing that that very high DC lock that they were unable to pick on the back it door. It was a very low that... DC lock and just that something they all ha- failed <laughs> repeatedly. Yes, that was, I, that was one I remember fondly because everything that you saw there really did happen. Like they were trying to do it this way. And they were like, well, what if we like Jimmy it with like a knife? And they were like, well, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll assist you. And they help and they roll a one. And so the knife flips out of their hand and cuts Scanlon's hand <laughs> open and then Percy's like, guys, you're doing that. I'm going to get a window. And he goes over to the window and he scales along the window. And then he fails his second roll and slips and falls like the 10 feet down to the ground. And they're <laughs> like, why can we not get through this door? It's driving me insane. So the guard coming out, dumping the, the pee bucket was just Mercer just being like, we got to move this along. Uh, well, actually, I, I think in the in the actual thing, they uh, Scanlon wound up teleporting inside because he had that spell. Mm hmm. 
uh, and then trying to open it from the inside where he received further damage because they were trying to work a sword through the door and the sword went through and stabbed him. <laughs> and then it, it just, it got worse and worse until eventually I think they blew up the door or something. I can't remember. A new, um, a new game for me while I'm watching these is find the things that were things that actually happened at the table <laughs> that they're incorporating into this and reverse yes. engineer what the circumstance was. Yes. And I was watching that. I was like, oh, this has to be this is too contrived. This has to be a series uh-huh. of failed roles. Uh, <laughs> and then especially when they call it back later, they're like, that door was cursed. That door was cursed. I'm just saying. <laughs> you see how easy it was for me to pick this? <laughs> I mean, that's like Solonar with uh, trying to do his his uh, hype checks where he's yeah. like, guys, I roll so high for other things. I don't know <laughs> why I'm so bad at this. Give me this one, please. Uh, then we have uh, uh, Ugly Thanos, which is the purple Gosh, guy who yeah. is Stonefell, who's one of those potato people. God, uh, like that really made me think of uh, if you ever saw a corpse bride, there's just like yeah. there's like the entire that one family of toad people. And I'm like, what are you? <laughs> yeah. And he so there. So um, a lot of fantastical creatures in this world. What is that? <laughs> so Archie's been tortured and uh, Stonefell's wandering around. Um, by this point, the resistance has come in as well everybody's reunited and they're sort of going around the hallways. Um, Grog finds more unlocking other people. Yeah. Grog finds alcohol and he, the trope goes into full effect again and he starts carrying a barrel around with him. Yeah. Um, uh, they managed that also did happen in game. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that that happened in game. Um, especially with the way they, you know, use that the way they check off's gun, that thing. Yes. So, uh, so then they uh, let all the other prisoners out and everybody's fighting through the guards to escape. Um, they um, throw the um, barrel fire it explodes and everything. Meanwhile, Percy has decided that he's got to scratch a name off of uh, his gun barrel. Yeah. So he does his super cool vengeance stuff. Uh finds Stonefell in a hallway. He's got his plague doctor mask. He's got his weird black smoke. He gives very much a Christian Bale Batman begins kind of speech. Yeah. Like, I am vengeance. <laughs> and uh, I, I love this gimmick and I love how at the, how invested the character is in what he's doing. Um, yes. Uh, it, I really believe it the way it's being played yeah. and what it is. Uh, and it, it was fantastic. Yeah, Talison has like I I I know I know for a fact that Liam O'Brien, uh, Vax, mm-hmm. that that person, uh, that actor had played D and D several times in the past. He was actually the one who originally suggested to the entire group of people that they play D and D together as a group, as just a kitchen tabletop thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm pretty certain that Talison Jaffe has also played various role play things before. He has to because. Like this character came with too much nuance, yeah, to not be, and like that speech he gave, I believe was verbatim the speech he actually gave in session, like during that scene, because it's like he like he had it prepared and ready, and he did it right into the camera, and it was gorgeous. Yeah, this is this is definitely the archetype of the most prepared and experienced player that you have at your yes. table doing something yes. like this. And it was great. Percy's my favorite character at this point, just cause, and I think it's because he's the most fleshed out 
which is because this is his story that yeah, we're watching. Yeah, it's his arc. Yeah. So if it was a different character, I'm sure I'd feel different. But for right now, he's yeah. my favorite because he's the one I can sort of understand the most. Uh, but I love I love the the mania that kind of overtakes him when he's doing this. Yeah, because he's 100 percent on a mission and it's great. And you can and you can see like there there's clearly something else working there mm-hmm. that's like twisting him as well. But it's mm-hmm. also very much him, too. Yeah. And that so he kills Stonefell and the name disappears off the gun. And then everybody's like, hey, what were you doing? Why are you screwing around over here? We got to get out of here. And he explains, oh, you know, I'm the last of my family. I got to do this. And Archie's there. He's like, you're not the last of your family, which seems to me like that could have been a reveal that could have waited until they got outside. Yeah, true. (laughs) That that was just a very strange thing to drop right there while everybody is still in very, very mortal danger. Right. Well, I I also love that. like in that in in that scene, like just a second ago, Percy is like losing his mind, absolutely crazy, pulls the gun on Vax and everything. Mm-hmm. And then he's like yelling and then he hears his sister. And like, I, I just remember like it just popped out of my mouth. I was like, well, now you're crazy and wrong. So mm-hmm. <laughs> and check uh, yourself there, Percy. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think it was I think it was episode four during the flashback where it showed how he and his sister were escaping from Whitestone and she, and got, she got shot. Like, yeah. She got, yeah. They had a couple arrows coming out of her, but now like, she oh, got she's mirrored. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, oh, she's still alive, but she's very clearly like brainwashed or something. Yes. By the by the Briarwoods. Uh, and her, you know, her and situation she, is very unique. And strange. Yeah. She and Delilah are standing there in the window. And uh, then Stephen Root comes and stands behind them, too. Uh-huh. And, they, and they look at the uh, the flaming prison and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard about your brother, but this doesn't change anything. And I'm like, so, sure, it doesn't, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So solid, solid cliffhanger there for um, episode six. So we yeah. have to wait a week until episode seven. And I'm, I'm, I wonder if they, you know, planned it this way for their release schedule, like they plan a cliffhanger at the end of episode three, plan a cliffhanger at the end of episode six. That um, could be. I wonder, like, I wonder if there's going to be a cliffhanger at the end of episode nine, just on these episodes where we're going to have to wait a week for the next one. Yeah, that that, that actually could 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 be a thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I will but, say something that happened in the episode in the show during mm-hmm. that particular raid. That I mean, maybe there, maybe maybe it will happen later, but they foreshadowed it for sure. Uh, was Scanlan trying out his various potions that he found? Uh-huh. Uh, because Scanlan did have a bunch of random potions that he had and things, and he did try a variety of them on a solo mission in that, and things went absolutely wacky and strange uh, and also resulted in a building burning down. So I wonder if it's going to, if they're going to do that in like the next episode, mm-hmm. possibly, but... There's some there's some hilarity that resulted of that. Yeah. Well, they um, at least referenced it during the planning session where he's like, I'll just take all these random potions I have and go in there exactly. and try all of them. And hopefully it'll turn me into a Superman. Exactly. Um, and like the the scroll of uh, polymorph mm-hmm. that he kept doing where he learned polymorph as a spell that that was one of the things that he had. Um, I also remembered the the actor that he kept saying he was. Mm-hmm. He kept saying, I believe it was Burt Reynolds. Like he would <laughs> run in and he'd be like, Who are you? And it's like, You can call me Burt Reynolds. And then he would dip. And so all these people were like, Some guy named 
Burt Reynolds? I don't I don't know. <laughs> and then Scanlon, of course, would be in the corner snickering or more pointedly, uh, uh, the, the entire all the players would be snickering because of it. So what what is your overall star rating for uh, these three episodes out of out of 10 mm-hmm. for these three? I would give it a solid like seven to eight because mm-hmm. it was it was very enjoyable but they're like the the only things that i can pull away uh like 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 that i have as detractors were like and it's it's just personal things like i'm not as much of a fan of the level of gore slash the level of um the number of times that scanlon is just really gross <laughs> mm-hmm. scanlon was definitely my favorite character in the in the show uh He's like he's not not my favorite character in this, but I don't know. He's he's just he's very gross. It weirds me out. Yeah, um, I would I would say I would give it like a, an eight or an eight five. Yeah, uh, just because I felt so engaged yes. over these three episodes, and my my nitpicks were stuff mainly where I felt like while it worked at the table, it really didn't work as part of an animated series. But then yeah. on the other side of that there was stuff that worked at the table. I was clearly able to identify even having not seen it, that it was something that happened at the table Yeah, thought it worked. Yeah. But I, I, I wish they would have maybe tweaked things a little bit or gotten some other feedback on some other stuff to yeah. heighten the storytelling a little bit for a different medium. But I, if I had to give a, a rating to episodes one, two and three, which we didn't do, I would say probably six and a half, seven just because those felt a yeah. little more like a slog, especially with episodes one and two being so different. Yes. I mean, I, I like if I, if I gave it the benefit of counting episodes one and two differently than three, mm-hmm. then yeah, I would probably also give it like a seven. Otherwise I would say uh, episodes one, two and three are like a solid five for me. Cause it was, mm-hmm. it was rough and mm-hmm. not great storytelling because it was very hasty. Yeah. So if I, I guess I'll say episodes one and two were like maybe a five. Three yeah. was probably a seven. Yes. Yeah. So that's fair. So Gabe, you want to do this again next week? Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, we're halfway, uh, I, I am, we're halfway through. So <laughs> I am actually looking forward to watching the next couple like episodes, like just for my own enjoyment as well. Awesome. All right, Gabe, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amethyst Audiomancer. And uh, you can find me, as always, on Twitter at Way of Brandalore. Oh, and by the way, we should have said this, but uh, yeah, this is a spoiler review of these episodes. So don't listen to it <laughs> until you've uh, until you've actually watched them. If you've gotten to this point, just go back in time and don't listen to it. <laughs> I'll put something in the show notes. Anyway, thanks for joining me again, Gabe, and we'll catch everybody next week. Have a good one. hey goblins programming note since next week is not a regular ggp release date the vox machina review should be coming out on monday rather than tuesday gabe and i have been getting into a pretty good rhythm of watching the episodes friday and saturday recording saturday night and then putting it together really quick for a release so hopefully everything will come out on monday if not check twitter uh you know at way of randalore at goblins growlers Uh, and I'll let you know what's going on. Thanks.